welcome to Agribusiness Conversations, the podcast with your business in mind. This is Amber Morin, your host. We are talking agribusiness, its hardships, its successes, and its emerging opportunities. March is International Women's Month, so we are going to have our podcast chock full of women and agriculture and the contributions that they are making. My guest on the show today is Santana Nez. Santana is the founder and owner of Burning Daylight Consulting, a consulting firm which focuses on tribal agriculture development. Santana is a member of the Navajo Nation and a graduate of the University of Arizona. Santana, do you want to share a little bit more about yourself? Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Again, I'm a member of the Navajo Nation. I also reside on the Navajo Nation as well, and that's where I conduct most of my business. And I also work with a lot of other tribal communities, with it, mostly within the state of Arizona. I do some light work with other tribal communities outside of the state. It's always great to create conversations with other tribes because everybody does something different depending on their landscape and their circumstances. So the reason why I started my consulting business is after I graduated my master's degree from the University of Arizona in animal and biomedical industry, I was always told at a young age, get an education, go explore, but come back to the reservation, help your community, help your people. And so that has always been a guiding point for me. So I came back and I started my consulting business and it provided me a way to help my community and also help other tribal communities and not only apply my education, but also my knowledge and experiences of growing up on the reservation and just being involved in agriculture on the reservation and off the reservation. Fantastic, Santana. You have such a unique story and such a unique business, and I'm grateful that you're on the show today. So I'm really curious is what challenges do tribal agriculture communities have that other agriculturalists might not have? And can you give a few examples? One of the challenges that I see a lot of tribal communities having is revitalizing their native food, trying to get back to their traditional foods to protect the health of the community, which is pretty much going back down to the roots of farming and their practices, but also being able to work with the seeds that have been passed down for generation after generation, because a lot of these tribal communities and their seeds have never been cross-contaminated with GMO seeds or any other seeds unless by nature. And so a lot of these native foods and getting to know the plants again has been a bit of a challenge especially for smaller reservations or smaller tribal communities, because a lot of the tribal members who have that knowledge have passed. You're basically trying to do research on something that has no documentation, essentially. And it's, it's troubling to hear that some of these traditions are lost and will never you will never get it back. But I think that's a huge challenge when it comes to these tribal agriculture communities is helping them get back to their cultural ways and bringing back food that was good for their bodies and good for their minds. Absolutely. And I know you and I have had previous conversations about this, but you've mentioned that there is something similar to community-supported gardens that take place on the reservation. Can you touch base on that a little bit? There's some community-supported gardens. So most of these community-supported gardens are closer to meeting places or event centers. But the reason why a lot of these communities will have these community gardens is to teach the younger generation how to do these things, but also 
also create a product that they can be proud of and also be able to market and sell and really getting into understanding what it what it means to produce your food but also produce to sell to others and it also creates a bonding atmosphere because these community gardens are in these social areas where the elders or the senior centers are there the school is there and everybody says like oh hey let's go to the garden and we'll do this and we'll do that and when it comes to these community gardens a lot of them will either grow some of these everyday modern produce to like garlic and broccoli if they can uh, lettuce and a lot of them will still grow corn I know a few people they'll grow natural Navajo tea and they'll harvest it there and then they'll package it for later with the corn production. One of the delicacies on our reservation is blue corn and usually they'll teach everybody like how to harvest it, how to process it, grind it, package it, but also store it. Store it in a fashion of the old ways without utilizing a refrigerator or energy like that. It'd be kind of like a mini survival camp is what I correlated it to because a lot of these tribal communities, they don't have electricity nor do they have running water. So they're really dependent on being very innovative with their food storage abilities. Absolutely. Innovative and independent, like yourself, a conduit to be able to pass on historical and cultural knowledge. I was just sort of curious, and I'm glad you touched base on it, what some of these historical foods and seeds were that are planted and that the Navajo Nation really takes pride in. I know you touched base on blue corn and Navajo tea. Are there others? From my travels, one I thought that was really unique was when I would work with the Tohono O'odham tribal community. Down in southern Arizona, the climate's different, their vegetation is different, but what they do is they will harvest the choya and they have a method of taking off the spines and everything and then they will they'll dry the cactus fruit part of it. They'll dry it either like on a roof or something and then they'll package it and store it and then they'll eat it for later because I think they said it's kind of like eating a banana there's a lot of like nutrients in there to help you keep you hydrated and I think there's a lot of potassium in it as well but cooking it you could either like cook it like a squash and eat it like that it, it kind of reminds me of cauliflower kind of has that texture a little bit and I thought that was pretty neat because I always wondered, I'm like, how do people survive out here? It's so hot and it's always hot and it's dry and there's no water. And that's what they do. They they go out and harvest these, the cactus or the prickly pear and they store it and they prepare it and they still use it today. And it's interesting because since there's a lot of prickly pear or cactus out there, I think what a lot of like some of these tribal communities want to do is market as a product. And, you know, in urban settings, they're eating this up because what's cooler than knowing where your food came from and also knowing that it came from within your own state, let alone from that cactus that's posted up outside of Starbucks. So it's, it's very interesting getting to know some of these communities and there's a lot more interesting foods out there that I've seen and there's a lot of products out there. I know there's an agricultural council for tribal nations and they created their own stamp that says made by Native Americans. So there's 
Native Americans across the nation that are either making coffee, jerky, either from bison or beef or elk, or they're making their own teas or making their own salves and their ointments and just being very resourceful and utilizing what has been passed down for thousands of years. Do you see your consulting opportunities in that realm of really helping tribal communities maybe get some of these products to market? I'm always open to learning how to do it. I think it's a great skill to know. I was just curious if that's something that you'd consider. I'm really good at eating food, so. <laughs> Maybe not selling it. Eating it. <laughs> Maybe not selling it. Like, I'm, I'm the usually one buying and eating it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be a good quality assurance person. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> I know tradition is really important for tribal communities. Can you explain how you specifically combine tradition along with historical knowledge and heritage with scientific information for you and your clients? How do you bring all that together? I used to think that I wanted to combine the traditional ecological knowledge and the scientific ecological knowledge. But however, as I began to think about it and through my education, but also just talking with my grandparents and talking with elders and my parents, what did they do to survive? They always knew how to work with the land. They knew the science. They just weren't breaking it down in the terms of what science is today in research and data points. But I think the part that I'm working on is to empower our traditional knowledge because a variety of tribes have been doing these things and surviving on their own landscapes, and they've done it for thousands of years. But it wasn't until European migration occurred that their way of sustaining themselves was the wrong way in European views. So as time went on, the tribe's population and cultures were diminished, and then they were confined to reservations. And although they did make some adaptations to their circumstances for survival, they I think there's, there's always going to be that struggle of changing their ways. For like instance, when I would talk, have a conversations with elders, they would say that the way that they would migrate with the animals and they would take them all over from northern Arizona all the way down to Hayson, Arizona or central Arizona where the rim is and they would graze their animals there. They would move with the seasons. And I think we're just now realizing that these practices are very important to the sustainability of our environment. Because when you think about the concepts of regenerative agriculture or conservation, Native Americans have been doing that for thousands of years, hence their survival. And also while they were doing that, they also built canal systems. They understood the weather patterns. They were astronomers and they lived very harmoniously with nature. They respected nature. They didn't live on earth. They lived with earth is what all these tribal communities have in common. And when it comes down to whether I'm combining traditional knowledge or scientific information, I think I'm just more of the mediator that's trying to empower my Native communities that we're a lot smarter than we envisioned ourselves. And I think what we have been doing and what we want to do to take care of the land is something that is the way that the world is going toward. Because if you look in recent studies of sustainability, it's all about taking half and leaving half but also involving wildlife and just overall biodiversity 
university. And I think that the core concept of traditional ecological knowledge, and I hope with my job is being the mediator, but also passing on this knowledge to the younger generation, helping them apply what they learn on the reservation and whether they want to go to school or not, or go into technical school, then that way, whatever they learn, it kind of gives them a leg up because they've lived this lifestyle. They know culture. They know how to live with nature. I just hope that through my expertise, it's enlightening to make these connections, so to speak. But also with the combining of traditional knowledge and what science is today, maybe we could get some more studies done and more information or knowledge written down in some sort of fashion to enhance overall survival of the environment, the animals, and the humans. It's incredible because when I think about it, Native Americans were really America's first scientists. That's something that came to mind. And as I think about what you're doing and really empowering your community, you've been able to take that historical and that cultural knowledge and also apply it in other ways and from your education and from your background and your experiences. But what other areas of expertise do you have? The other branches of expertise are just utilizing youth outreach and kind of just like everybody in agriculture, how do we excite the next generation to want to pursue agriculture. And that's one of my levels of, of knowledge and also something that I really want to do is like I I find so much fun and enjoy learning about agriculture and being our culture. And I hope that I either open up a kid's eyes to it or tell them, hey, like if if you like being outside, you should do agriculture. But there's also other things that branch off from agriculture and just kind of get them thinking a little bit. And that's one of my great interactions is working with the youth because they have so many questions. And I just hope to be an example of them or someone that they can look up to, to either continue to go to college or go to agriculture. Or if it's not, if it's not even agriculture, do something greater than themselves. So another expertise that I do offer is range data collection and storage. I try to stay on top of the technology that can be applied to record keeping. And so there's a lot of information and technology and software out there that could help tribal communities and their associations or their ranches just to keep data and keep tabs of what's out there so that this data can be passed on to the next person who's going to be in charge or is going to be the next manager or the owner of that particular assignment and just have them have something to refer back to because like the saying, knowledge is power and it really helps to have records about something so then it can help you plan in the future for whatever you need to plan for or make adjustments where they see fit. And with all of these expert services from my consulting business is that I look to be that one-on-one interaction with a ranch or a farm, helping them create connections and just either working alongside them and telling them about some organizations that could be very helpful to their knowledge base and help them plan and other resources that they can turn to or just talking to other other ranchers and getting to know how they are able to get through certain obstacles on their ranch, whether maybe there's an invasive wildlife issue or maybe there's an invasive noxious weed or something. And it kind of creates that conversation between not only the ranchers, but also other tribal entities, but also other ranchers on the reservation that are doing well, because I think the best way that people do learn is by having these conversations with one another. 
And with that, I one advantage I have with my consulting business is that is that I grew up on the reservation. I've I know what it's like living there. I know what it's like being in agriculture on the reservation and having this experience of growing up there and seeing how things happen helps me to understand what is important to the tribal communities. And in that sense, it helps me be relatable to them instead of someone who who doesn't live on the reservation, doesn't even know anything about the reservation, comes onto the reservation and tells them this is how you got to do it. And in reality, it's not going to work because maybe they've already done it. They've already done it and they realize it doesn't work, you know, and those people who don't live on the reservation or never experienced reservation life, they're making these assumptions that these things will work, but in reality, it really doesn't work. <laughs> Local communities know best, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. You're positioned really uniquely to serve as a catalyst for potential opportunities that you know your local communities can benefit from. It's really neat that what you can do is say, you know, maybe we've already done this before, but here's some other options that you might want to look at. And they will listen to you because like you said, you are relatable. You have that experience. I'm just sort of curious when you are working with clients or potential clients, what's your needs assessment look like? It just starts off with creating a conversation and I understand their problems and their concerns, but there are needs. If I'm just working specifically with a rancher, usually most of the time these ranchers or tribal organizations, they'll have a grant that pays for my technical assistance and with their management materials. And so that's how that kind of works out is the people who are kind of in charge of the grant they reach out to me via email or phone. But the way that they get my information is I work with some nonprofit organizations. I try to make, make myself network with a lot of organizations out there that are looking to help rural communities or help tribal agriculture, just agriculture in itself. And they asked me, what can you do? For my consulting services, it obviously varies because I'm willing to do anything. And if someone needs help with something or assistance, and I'm not that keen upon that specific service, then I tell them, hey, I'm not too keen on it, but I would love to learn. I would love to help you. I would love to assist you. That way, I also practice a new skill or learn a new skill. And I'm able to help them a lot more in the future. So usually most of these grants have a lot of deliverables that need to be met within a certain time frame. And so we basically go off of the deliverables and I say, is like, I can help you with this. I can help you with this. I'll be honest with them. If I don't know anything about something, then I'm like, I can't help you with this. If it has to do with something like QuickBooks or something, I'm not too great about QuickBooks in financial organization yet. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just tell them that I can't do it, but I know someone who can. My connections and my network, I'm also able to connect them to people who are experts in that field to help them meet their deliverables, help finish their projects, or just help them get more information. It sounds like you have quite a bit of experience working with different grant opportunities, you know, implementing projects on the ground. And what is the consulting project that you're most proud of to date? It's hard to pick a project that I'm most proud of, but I think the part of my consulting that I'm enjoy and proud of is when I get to 
uh, create conversations with the youth and the, the elders and the generations in between is have them talking to one another, getting to know their ideas and their thoughts. And the elders have a wealth of knowledge and they're just looking for someone to pass it down. Just like anybody with the great skill, they always want to pass it down and teach it to somebody. And I think that's the most rewarding part of uh, my consulting projects is speaking with these families and these communities and also just seeing where they farm or where they ranch. And some of these places are very isolated, but yet they're absolutely spectacular to look at. I just really enjoy being outside and helping tribal communities meet their goals. You really get to be the catalyst to help pass on knowledge. So I understand why that might be your favorite part of what you get to do. Okay, Santana. So what's the best way for people to reach you? So the best way to reach me is through email, uh, Santana at burningdaylightconsulting.com, all one word. And also through phone, uh, you can leave a voicemail if I don't answer, or you can send me a text message. I have two phone numbers. Uh, The first one is 505-879-1210. And the next number is 928-613-8936. Thank you, Santana. Thank you for what you're doing, and thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. That wraps up this episode of Agribusiness Conversations. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll catch you next time.